0: Well, good evening. good evening. Welcome. It's good to see you here on Wednesday night, midweek study. It's always good to get together uh, with the fellowship um, after a few days away. A um, couple of real quick announcements. This past Sunday, I mentioned the fact that we have these, uh, uh, the contribution statement. If you've made any contributions to the church in any way, you need to fill out a form and then give us a day or two to get this filled out for you. Um, we'd love to uh, provide that for you. We can email it to you. You can just check off you know, how you want to get it, if you want to pick it up. Some people have come to the office in the last couple of days. You guys are real fast on your taxes, but we're trying to do our best to accommodate. And so we'd love you to just fill that out, and you can give it to an usher tonight. They'll make sure and get it to us so we can uh, get you that information. And also, uh, Women's Bible Study is starting up, ladies, Um uh, it took a break through December, and, and now you're starting the winter Bible study. And it's, uh, it's a Bible study through the book of Ephesians with a, a book that you're going to buy. You're actually going to get a little book that um, it's really good. I went through it probably, it's probably 20 years ago, a Lifeway a Bible study book. And there'll be questions for you to answer. And so you can really go in depth in, in uh, Ephesians. But the women will be studying beginning this Tuesday, the 29th of December. Uh, January, either in the morning, or if you're working during the day, you can come in the evening for that study, or vice versa, but it's the same study for the ladies on Tuesday, either morning or evening, and you can sign up. Esther's here tonight. She's got the new flyer, and and you've probably seen the poster outside, so ladies, you can be a part of that, and then I see that there's brownies. There's brownies in the chapel store tonight for those of you that want to hang out and fellowship a little bit after service tonight, but I'm glad that you're here. We're here to study the Old Testament book of Numbers. We're in the book of Numbers. We're in chapter 4. and We've been in this book for just four weeks now, and each week I've spent a little bit of time trying to whet your appetite for the importance of studying the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a very, very important part of the Bible that you hold in your hand. Those original 37 books there in the Or 27 books in the the Old Testament are really, really, or 37 are really important for you to understand. We need to study and understand the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul tells us it's vitally important for you to know the Old Testament. In fact, here's a verse I have behind me on the screen that says from Paul. He says, Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our Admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we're living in this time of, of uh, post uh, a death and resurrection of Christ. We're living in what's known as the age of the Gentiles or the church age, where God has brought together Jew and Gentile into one body, the church. The reference to the body, you'll hear if you're a new Christian, that's a metaphor for the church coming together. Um, you might just be a fingernail. Maybe your eyelash. Hopefully you're not the armpit, but you're something. And we all come together. I think we were all armpits, right, at one time. And then we came to Christ and he made something new out of us. But we're all parts of the body of Christ. And Paul says that all of these things that we're reading about historically in the Bible, all these historic facts, geographically, And even these people, the Hebrew people that we know existed historically. This is all written and recorded in in the Old Testament for our admonition so that we might learn. And we're learning a lot about the ancient Hebrew people as they have uh, now entered this time, this first year uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God has given them instructions. He's creating a brand new nation out of these people. It's people that were called out, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's sons, Israel. These are the Hebrew people that we're studying, and God's called them out for a special purpose because out of these people will come the Messiah, the seed. that's going to crush Satan, prophesied way back in Genesis chapter 3. And so that's why it's important to understand these people because we can grow and we can be admonished We learn a lot about what not to do in Numbers. In other words, you don't want to be like these people most of the time. As we read through, they go, wow, boy, I'm glad I don't do that. And again, all of this information is so that we can be encouraged, so that we can understand. Um, And and here's another really important, important point about studying the Old Testament and Numbers particularly, because their lives in the wilderness of Sinai Parallels our life in the wilderness of sin. Who would not agree tonight that, that your daily work, that your daily grind, that your daily life in this world of wickedness, it's a wicked world, wouldn't you agree? We're in this wicked world, world place of sin and we're wandering, wandering, just like the Israelites. And we, like them, are to trust in the Lord our faith is to grow. They're to look to the Lord. He's miraculously in in numbers. We're finding God provide for them and leading them. How? With a cloud by day that that comes from the tabernacle. We spent 10 chapters at the end of the book of Exodus in the building and the construction of the tabernacle. And now, in Numbers chapter 4, we're going to see the priestly duties of, of those that were to take apart the movable sanctuary, the tabernacle, and to put it back together, which tribe was responsible to carry it. You're going to find out that Moses and Aaron, they're the sons of Koath, and they kind of got the easy duty. They just kind of went and covered everything because God didn't want this, the ark and the the uh, candelabra, the, the menorah, the um, the... Uh, table of incense, all those special utensils. God didn't want those things just to be carried in the hot sun or get exposed to the rain and weather. They're to be covered. We're going to see they're covered in blue, covered in blue. You'll see that over and over again tonight in this chapter. And then the the other tribes were designated to carry all the weight of this movable sanctuary. That's really what we're going to see. But our life's parallel theirs in that they're wandering through the wilderness and they have to trust God. We're wandering through daily in this wicked world, and we have to trust the Lord. Now, the first four chapters of Numbers really has to do with the layout of the, the where the people are gonna camp. Remember, I showed you the picture. Here's another picture of this layout. And this is just, again, a, a drawing, but you have all the different tribes that were all around the tabernacle. And this, in no way, really depicts the, the amount, the number, the, the size of, of this group of people. Two and a half to three million people. We discovered in the very beginning of Numbers, and the reason they call the book of Numbers is because God numbers throughout the first few chapters, and he's going to number them again in chapter 20. But he's numbering his people, preparing them for battle, preparing them for this wandering through the wilderness. And last week, we saw how the tribes were set all around the tabernacle. In other words, God is in the middle of the camp, and all around are the people in camp. Again, here's another great picture of our lives. Shouldn't your life, shouldn't my life be, uh, God should be the center of everything that I do and everything that I am. God should be the center, and so we see God in the center in that movable sanctuary, that the courtyard, the lava, the altar, and then the inside the, the tabernacle itself, way in the back there in that picture is the uh, tabernacle split into two divisions where the priests would go in and do their work of atonement for the people. So, this is a beautiful picture. God's organizing, organizing, organizing these people. Remember, they were slaves for 400 years. And now he's got to organize them into a really fighting regiment, a fighting group of people. So, the first Numbers chapter one, all the fighting men are chosen, they're counted. Over 600,000, if you recall. Remember, 600,000 fighting men. Because you're thinking, how do we get two and a half million? Well, you got 600,000 men, so now add women to that, the unaccounted sing, uh, seniors, men over 50, and then you have the, all the children, all the little children, are 2.5 to 3 million. It's very easy to get that, that number. But God, in order to move them through now, the wilderness for the next 40 years, he's got to organize them. That's what we're seeing, that's what this picture behind me um, really Depicts So now in chapter 4, God has organized everybody. They all know where to camp. There's banners. Everybody knows to camp under their banner. But now we're going to see the duties of the specific tribe of the Levites. Remember, the Levites haven't been counted. Every other tribe was counted because they were fighting men, but the Levites have not been counted because they're there to do the priestly duties. God does not want them to be men of war. So we're going to count the men that are going to be doing the duties and and defining their roles and responsibilities here in this this chapter uh, tonight. We begin in verse 1. Let's ask God's blessing, and then I'll jump right in. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for what you're teaching us. May it just really speak to our hearts. May we find application in the wonderful history of the Old Testament tonight. In Jesus we pray, amen. Now, this chapter really breaks down really super simple, but there's some great things in here. Three sections or three tribes, and they're numbered. That's really what this is about, numbering the Levites, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Koath, and Merari, the Levi's children here. We begin with the sons of Koath, the sons of Koath, verse 1. I'm going to read this whole section down through verse 14, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Koath from among the children of Levi, by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50. So from 30 to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Remember, the Levites are the priestly tribe. They're going to serve in the tabernacle specifically. Verse 4, this is the service of the sons of Koath in the tabernacle of meeting, relating to the most holy things. When the camp prepares to move out to journey, Aaron and his sons shall come and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. So the first thing they do is they go in And they cover all the different utensils is what we're going to discover here. Going to cover everything down. They take down the veil and the Ark of the Testimony, verse 6, and they shall put on it the covering of badger skins and spread over that a cloth entirely of blue. And they shall insert its poles. On the table of showbread they should spread a blue cloth and put on it dishes and pans and bowls and pitchers for pouring. And the showbread shall be on it. These are all the things that we've learned about back in Exodus and the building of the tabernacle. These are all the utensils and the things that were needed that that uh, facilitated the work and the ministry of the priest inside the tabernacle. Remember, the inside the tabernacle, there's the the holy place. It's where the priest would go in every day. Once a week, they change out the showbread that represented, you know, God's. Um, it uh, represents communion in the New Testament, but it represents God eating with his people, being with his people. And then on the other side of the, the tabernacle wall was the menorah. They had to put oil in the lamp to keep the lamp burning. The light of the that dark space came from the menorah. It pictures Christ. He's the light of the world. So you have that picture there. And then at the end, right up next to the veil, there's the little altar of incense, and that had to be... Provided for the incense had to be put in there. There was different kinds of incense. They put beautiful smelling incense. Remember why they had incense? Remember on the outside of the tabernacle, what's going on out there? The altar of incense. There's lots of animals dying out there, blood and guts and all kinds of stuff going on right outside. Inside, and so inside the tabernacle, there's this incense. It's always burning. So. You could get away from the smell outside outside by going inside and the priest would do all this work. And so these things had to be covered, including behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and the cherubim, all covered in gold, jewels, and it was gorgeous sight. And now God is going to have this transporter. Remember, this is a movable sanctuary, the tabernacle. It's where God's Came in the end, the end of Exodus, the chapter 40, we saw God coming in all his glory and his presence, and he came into the tabernacle. And while he's there, there's this cloud. This, this cloud that can be seen from the two million people can look. There's the tabernacle right over there. They see the cloud. And then at nighttime, it's the heavenly night light, right? There's fire. There's fire. That cloud turns into fire, and the people are, they know the presence of God is there, that God is in the tabernacle. He's in the midst of his people. It's where he's always wanted to be. It's up to them to, to maintain now this tabernacle. And it was the Levites that were doing that. And the sons of Koath had this job. They would cover all of these. Items: the altar of incense, the table of showbread, the ark of the covenant, the menorah—all those things—they had to cover them, and they covered them with badger skins, or some of your uh, uh, translations would would say um, uh, what is it, porpoise skins. In other words, it was a it was a waterproof uh, covering. Because they're going to be out in the sun, they're going to be in the rain, expose the elements, and God doesn't want that to be wet. So they would cover them really good. And then they would put the poles through to carry all of these different uh, instruments. On the table of showbread, verse 7, they shall prepare a blue cloth and put on it the dishes, pans, and bowls. Verse 8, they shall spread over the scarlet cloth. This is interesting. Now, there's everything's covered in blue, but they shall spread over them a scarlet cloth. And a cover, the same, with a covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles, and they shall take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand of the light and its lamps and wick trimmers, its trays and all the oil vessels which they service it. And they shall put it, verse 10, with all its utensils in the covering of badger skins and put it on a carrying beam. Over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with a covering of badger skins and they shall insert its poles and they shall take all the utensils of service with which they minister in the sanctuary, put them in the blue cloth, cover them with a covering of badger skins and put them on the carrying beam. Also they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. They shall put on it all its implements which with which they ministered there, the fire pans, the forks, the shovels, basins, and the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread on it a covering of badger skins and insert its poles. Now beginning back in verse three, um, we're just hearing that these are Levi's sons that have this specific job. and only the ones that are 30 and above, your 27 can't do it. got to be 30. 30 to 50 was God's instructions to Moses to be counted. These are men, 30 to 50 years old, that are going to be carrying, or, or not carrying, but appointed to cover in, in this specific tribe of the Levites, the Kohathites, and they were to cover these holy objects. It says from 30 years old, verse 3, and above to 50. So that was their job. In the tabernacle, they would go in there first, and so we're getting really the order of how they would tear down the tabernacle, and it probably would be set up again first with the items placed on the ground, then the tent of meeting over that, and then the outer court and the rest of the instruments. Really interesting the way they set it up, and that's how Moses is giving us this this uh, uh, record of how they. Took the uh, uh, camp or the tabernacle apart and put it back together. Now, the question is why 30 to 50 years old? One writer, and I think this is plausible, believes that from 30 to 50, that's really your prime age. I mean, you're strong when you're 20, but you're not wise, wouldn't you agree? When you're 30, you're a little bit wiser. And so from 30 to 50, it's kind of your prime in wisdom, it's your prime in, in strength. And then we turn to 60 and everything falls apart, right? But, but really, this is what we're talking about, 30 to 50 years old. And uh, the prime or the, the, the best men, the strongest, the most wise and physical strength of these people. But I think that there's something else going on here in that the mortality rate of these people living in the desert would have been much lower than the mortality rate that we have with all our medicine and all these. Even though these are God's people, they're still subject to camping. I mean, they're still subject to water that might have, you know, disease in it. They're still subject to all kinds of problems being out in the sun or in the rain or in the elements. Their mortality rate would have been lower than ours. I, I kind of looked into that this year. According to the United Nations, the average life expectancy worldwide, the, the worldwide record is 71 and a half years. 68 years for men, 72 for women. That's the just FYI for, for you. Um, that's what the statistics are. On average, listen to this, 15,000 births per day, 6,300 deaths per hour. Very interesting. Now, this is a worldwide figure. Uh, again, there's 7.5 billion people on the planet in 2017. But 3,500 years ago when this record was written, these people would have lived um, in, in very difficult situations. They wouldn't have lived to 70 and so this is the prime of their life from 30 to 50. And God is asking for the prime of their life to serve him. I, I read that and I, I see something different. I, if you have life and breath in you, Christian, you should be serving God. There's nothing greater that you could do than to serve the Lord. And we're seeing here in this case, God would not allow the 27-year-olds to serve, only the 30 to 50. So I, I would imagine some of those younger 20-somethings would have, man, I can't wait to get 30. I can't wait to turn 30 because I can serve God. They'd, they'd be so ramped up and excited to get to that age where they could serve the Lord. Here's the application from this section here. I believe that God wants us to give our best years to him. In other words, well, you know, I'm, I've got to work and create my retirement and do all these things, and then I'll serve the Lord, you know, when 65 or whenever, when you can barely walk anymore and your back hurts. And If you have life and breath in you, you should be serving the Lord and giving your best to the Lord, not your, your worst, not your hand-me-downs, but giving your best to the Lord. That's what this represents, 30 to 50, the best intellectual years, the best physical years, the best wisdom, but giving the Lord your best. The, the work of the ministry is not an easy job. I've been doing it for 30 years now. It's, it's not the most dangerous job in the world until I'm locked in my office with a marriage you know, encounter, you know, a couple that's at each other's throat, one has a black eye, and they're asking me to fix it as a pastor. It doesn't happen that often. That's the only time when it gets dangerous, that's all I'm saying. But serving the Lord such a blessing It's such a privilege. And these men were called to labor for God, to give their best years in the tabernacle, to keep it clean and fresh and organized and in order. That was their job. They got to do that. Paul told Pastor Timothy this. I love this verse. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So next week I'm going to ask for a raise. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Laboring in the ministry, serving the Lord, there's nothing greater that you can do. I, I get to come here and serve God. It's a privilege. I count it a privilege day after day after day. I thank the Lord for allowing me to serve him in that way. I I love every once in a while you'll hear Philip sing the song, I Surrender All. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Have you ever thought about singing those lyrics? I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. I surrender all. We sing that song, but do we really surrender all? Do we really give until financially it hurts? Do we really serve until it's, I've got hardly any energy left? That's what we're talking about. We get to serve the Lord. Church is a glorious place, and it's a wonderful thing. We sing the song, and I used to sing it. We don't sing it as much anymore, but the old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I think the team sang it a few weeks back. And the one stanza says this, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my what? My all. The love of God compels me to to give my all. How do you know that you're really um, living for the Lord? Because you want to give to him. I'm not talking just monetarily. You just want to give back. You want to serve. You want to provide something to your, the members in your church body. You want to be a blessing to them. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you shall receive the recompense of the inheritance. You serve the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, work I'm a garbage collector, Pastor Lee. I had one of my best friends in this church for many, many years. He was just just retired. Um, He was a a garbage collector in the city of San Bernardino for some 37 or 38 years. And he used to always tell me about that verse. He goes, I just do it as unto the Lord. Big old smile on his face. Thankfully, he had a job at just serving the Lord and, and even in that capacity. Now the second thing that I noticed about the sons of Koath here was that Moses and Aaron are sons of Koath. So this is the tribe that Moses and Aaron would come from. It seems fitting then, right, that they would be in charge of the ark, that Moses and Aaron would be in charge of the, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and, the, and those, those instruments inside the temple that were, or the tabernacle that were so important. And they were given specific instruction on how to prepare each piece of furniture and cover it in just the right way and and lift it so gently and carefully and respectfully because all these things were made to remind these people to worship God, to remind the people that God was in their presence. And so they had to treat these things very carefully. The blue cloth that you see over and over again, kind of a reminder of heaven, blue. But it also reminded the people that you don't mess with that thing that's covered with the blue. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. It was almost like a a warning flag, this blue cloth. Wherever the blue cloth was, stay away. You'll see as we go through here how important that was uh, to these people. And then the badger skins or the porpoise skins, whatever your translation said, are the waterproof covering because the wood, the stuff's made out of wood and then silver and gold, and so it was covered this waterproof fabric. And then verse 8, this is interesting, they shall spread over them a scarlet cloth. The ark and the table of showbread are the only two instruments or, or, or utensils there that were covered with the scarlet. And think about that. The ark represents Christ. It's where the mercy seat was. It's where the blood was shed It's or sprinkled. It's where atonement was made for the people. Jesus made atonement for you. How? Through his blood. And so the ark becomes that, and it's covered with red. Isn't that beautiful? And also we have the table of showbread. The table of showbread is that, remember it was every week the priest would go in and you would change the the loaves, the 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes. That was just a reminder of the fellowship God had with his people. But the showbread is a, is a picture of the church. The church, you and I, the church, the body of Christ, we have fellowship with God. We have fellowship. We used to be separate from God because of our sin. But because of the blood of Christ and the reconciliation of Christ, we have fellowship With God in Christ. So that table of showbread and the ark are both covered with red. I think that's just a beautiful, beautiful picture there. Verse 15: And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Koath shall come to carry them. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. There it is right there. Be very respectful. Be very careful. Remember, in Exodus, we found poles and rings. Everything had poles and rings. Why? Because everything was movable. It was made to tear down and set up and tear down and set up. So the poles and rings were the poles on the ark, the poles on the table of incense, and rings. They were not to touch those things. You go and you cover it very carefully, and then you put the poles in. You carry it very respectfully Lest they die, these are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. The appointed duty of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, is the oil for the light, the sweet incense, the daily grain offering. So those, that's what happened. The menorah was lit every day with oil. The incense was burning every day. The table of showbread was, was there. And every week they would change out the, the bread there, the, the showbread. And the, uh, gr- the daily grain offering, the anointing oil, the oversight of the tabernacle, and all that is in it. So Eleazar is the son of Aaron. Aaron's the high priest, so only his son could handle that specific duty. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, verse 18, Do not cut off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites uh, from among the Levites. But do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. So, they're, they're getting close to some stuff that you just do not want to touch. There are certain things that you just don't do. You know, tug on Superman's cape, spit in the wind, pull the mask off who? Remember? The Long Ranger. You remember that. And you don't mess around with. But when it came to the tabernacle, you, you do not disrespect at all these things. You're very, very careful with these things. And these people knew it, lest they die. So Aaron and his son Eliezer, had that specific duty, but do this in regard to them, verse 19, that they may live and not die. The, as they approach most holy things, Aaron and his son shall go in the appointed, each of them, uh, to his service and task. But they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. They weren't even to peep. They weren't even to go and watch. They were to be very, very careful and very respectful to these these very holy instruments that represented God's dwelling place and and all the work that God was going to do for the people. The warning of death there in verse 15 and verse 20 kind of reminds us to be separate from sin. You and I are to be careful to stay away from sin. It's a deliberate choice of your will to stay away from those things that maybe in your life were habits, bad habits at that. But sometime in your life before you came to Christ, there was this habit. Maybe it was an Internet looking at stuff you shouldn't look at. Maybe it was drinking something that inebriated you and made you into a different person and you became under its influence. Maybe it was drugs. I don't know what it was. But we're to separate ourselves, Christian. One of the things that, as a pastor, that I think is the most healthy thing for this church, it's not numbers, it's are you responding to the word of God and are you holier in the way you live? That's the most important thing for me as your pastor. Happiness is not as important to me for you as holiness is. Because when you're holy, you're going to be happy. But if you're only going to be happy, if I eliminate things in your life, well, you know, go ahead and keep sinning. It's okay. Grace, grace, grace. Well, I've misled you as your pastor. You need to be more like Jesus Christ, not like me, more like Jesus Christ day after day after day, growing closer and closer to him in holiness. That's what that means. To be more like Jesus is to be more holy. I do care about your happiness. I want you to be joy-filled, but that is not as important as being holy. And when you're holy, you'll be happy. It's really a beautiful thing, something I've learned in my, you know, almost 50 years being a Christian, is, is holiness is what it's all about. God wants you to be more and more holy. So there were forbidden things they couldn't touch, some things they couldn't look at. They had to choose not to do that lest they die. And you remember what happened when the Ark of the Covenant later on in Chronicles and Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines. Remember that? They, they came and they took the Ark. And they took it down to one of their seaside cities. And they were so proud. They had this beautiful, artistic, golden Ark. And they brought it in and they put it before their God. And there was a little motion of the earth that night. And they woke up. The priests saw their God. Their god, Dagon, had fallen over. His nose busted off. So they set their idol back up. And the next day, the, the idol fell down again right before the tabernacle. And then the next day, people started getting sick. And then and the people in that town said, we, we don't want this thing. This is, a, this, is, this is bad. So they sent it to the next town, of the Philistines. And those people got boils. And they sent it to the next town. Remember how it started? It was like a hot potato. And it goes all around the Philistines. They don't, nobody wants it. And they finally discovered, wow, you know, Wherever this thing is, bad things happen. We want to get this out of our land. So they put it on a cart. It's in Chronicles. You can read about it. They put it on a cart with, with these oxen pulling it, and they kind of shoot it away and let it go down a road, and they kind of watched as it went away, the Philistines, and it, it went up into the field of the Israelites, and they rejoiced. They were so happy. The ark's back in, you know, in Israel We're so happy, and they, they, killed the, they slaughtered the ox, and they offered it to the Lord. They burnt the cart it was on. And they very carefully, very carefully took care of that ark. The the ark and these instruments are super important, and they weren't to be messed around with at all. And so the Kohathites, they were the ones that took care of it. Then in verse 21, we have the duties of the sons of Gershon, the next son of Levi, who, again, are numbered, 30 to 50, you'll see that over and over again. Verse 21 Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take a census of the sons of Gershon by their father's house, by their families. From 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, you shall number them, all who enter to perform the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites in serving and carrying. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle. Uh, And the tabernacle of meeting, all of its coverings, the covering of badger skins that are on it, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the gate of the court, the hangings of the court, which are all around the tabernacle, the altar, the cores, the furnishing, the service, and all that's made for these things. So they, the Gershonites, will serve. Aaron and his sons, verse 27, shall assign all the service of the sons of the Gershonites, all their tasks and all their service, and you shall appoint them and all their tasks and their duty. This is the service of the families of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting, and their duties shall be under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So here's the second son of Aaron that has this specific duty, and his job is to make sure that all the curtains... And remember, they're heavy. They're woven. They're beautifully woven. And there's multi-layered curtains, very heavy, that go over the tabernacle. And then all around the outside of the court, these heavy fabric. They had to, you know, bunch it up. And I don't know if you've ever done that. When My wife does these women's meetings, and we cover all the tables with a tablecloth. She brings them home, and we wash them at home. And I have to carry them out of the car. So there are 20 of these you know, table covers and they're real awkward and you kind of walk around and then you got to bring them to the dishwasher or the the clothes washer. I'd probably put them in the dishwasher, but the clothes washer. But but they're they're awkward. Fabric is awkward. So these people, this is their job. They have to fold and compact and carry all of these curtains and all of the heavy multi-layered curtains. And again, you can go back to the book of Exodus and find how gorgeous and how beautiful the fabric was. And Bezael, remember his, his artistry of him, uh, putting the emblems of angels and, and heavenly scenes on all these gorgeous uh, uh, cloths that, that really made the courtyard and then covered the tabernacle. But that's what they did. They, cover, they carried all the fabric and skins and artist, artistically woven curtains there. Then the duties of the sons of Merari, there, verse 29. As for the sons of Merari, you shall number them by their families and by their father's house. From 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, you shall number them, everyone who enters the service of, to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And this is what they must carry as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting. The boards, the tabernacle, the bars, the pillars, the sockets. This is all the heavy stuff, by the way. And the pillars around the court with all their sockets and pegs and cords, with all the furnishings and all their service, and you shall assign to each man by name the items he must carry. This is the service of the families of the sons of Merari, as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So their job is to pack and to carry the boards, the pillars. Remember, there's the tabernacle had boards on the interior, and then the exterior were covered with a the, with the fabric, and then the interior had the curtains all around, so that, but there were boards, there was structure. And then that, the boards couldn't just stand up on the ground. They were in, remember the silver sockets that were about 250 pounds each? I mean, this is heavy stuff. So these guys must have been the Merari brothers, you know, they must have been really strong. But they have all this heavy stuff that they're going to they're gonna, um, carry. Gold and silver uh, covered construction materials and, and all the, you know, so they've estimated the weight of these things to be, you know, tons and tons and tons. I read from, from 20 to 60,000 pounds. I don't know what, which one's right. But uh, this is really important. And in, in notice verse 32, you shall assign each man by name, the items he must carry. In other words, they didn't volunteer for this. They were chosen specifically to do this work. Moses and Aaron probably looked at these guys. um, He's really strong. Let's give him two of these 250-pounders, and and he's really strong. Let's give him some of those boards. And So Moses and Aaron are choosing specifically who's going to carry what and what they're going to, Uh, to do, to to move the tabernacle through the wilderness there. The point of this section, I think, is really to help us understand that God has appointed a role. God has appointed a job to do, just as last week, if you'll recall, I made a big deal about uh, the gifts of the Spirit and in the church today, and how God gifts severally as he wills, and as those gifts are used within the church, the body is built up and edified. And so God does the same thing here with the, these people, with each tribe, the Kohathites and the Gershonites and the, um, these guys here. Who are they now? I, I just forgot who they are, the Merari and, and his, that tribe. And they each have a specific assigned job to do, Mirari's family were like the mules, though. I mean, they they got all the weight here, all the heavy stuff. But again, God has distributed all of these families' work to do, and Moses and Aaron were to make sure that it all got done. Again, the point was that each tribe of the Levites had their assigned duties. From the very beginning of Numbers chapter 1, all we've seen is God organizing in order, organizing in order, organizing in order these people. He's counted them. He's told them where to camp, setting them under banners. He's going to instruct them how to fight because they're going to be in the wilderness again, and they're going to be attacked. So God is a God of order. He's a God of organization. Our services and our worship for God should always be orderly, but God is a, a, a God of order, and he's done all this stuff. And, again, our job is to pick up our responsibility and do it faithfully and do it over and over and over again. I mean, you could get into a habit or this is Monday and I come and I sit at the back door and I'm just an usher or I'm just a security guy or I'm just a Sunday school teacher. You could actually, you know, and and get into a, a rut, but you have to refresh your heart. I get to serve the king of kings. I get to come to church with other believers in Christ and, and together we get to unify our voices and sing praise to God. That's exciting. You need to, you need to come with an anticipation to worship service. I, I was telling Esther tonight, I've got this idea about writing a little letter to everybody and putting it in an envelope and giving it to you on Sunday. You'll probably get one of those here pretty soon. And it's just an encouragement to, to come with expectancy on Sunday. Or Wednesday night. Don't just come, you know, I'm late and I gotta get here. Okay, here, come on, honey, let's go get the kids and Sunday. Okay. But come prayerfully, pray. And when you come, like, what is God going to show me tonight? How am how I, I'm gonna get to serve God tonight in some way, even if it's just to come in and open the word and worship together. You're serving the Lord and, and you're unifying the body of Christ by being here. Great encouragement to your pastor, by the way, when you show up. So I have somebody to speak to, I guess. But but no, it's it's important for us to come with an expectation to worship God and to serve God and and to be faithful with what God's called us to do. Now, Paul illustrates all of that. I want you to hold your place here and go to First Corinthians chapter twelve. We looked at the first portion of this last week when we were talking about giftings, but I want to just read with you just a beautiful New Testament illustration of of. Coming together in unity and what the church really is. This is my opportunity to kind of get you excited using some Old Testament, learning from it, and then applying it. Here's here's the application. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Notice what Paul writes. He says, For as the body, now the body here is a metaphor for the church, the, the people, young and old, rich and poor, perfect. We have the greatest example of, of a church here. We have people from different countries and languages, and, and uh, there's men and women, there's boys and girls in our church. It's a wonderful thing. The body is what it, the metaphor. The body is one. and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And then I love his illustration here. Here's Here's his little illustration. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, am I not the body? And then Paul says, is it therefore not the body? And the answer is, well, no, the foot's part of the body, just like the hand is. If the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Rhetorical again. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? The whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God, verse 18, has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, gain the, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts, I mean, he's kind of looking at a, body, kind of undressed in a sense, he said, there's even some unpresentable parts there. The body have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Beautiful picture of a church. And how we all, you know, like I said at the beginning, fingernails and knuckles and fingers and the nose, appendix. You know, I don't know what part of the body you are. But together, together, we're one body in Christ. Beautiful thing. So what do we do if we're the fingernail? If we're just just an usher, I'm just an usher. I'm picking on those guys tonight. I'm just on the worship team. I do this every week. You know what you do? You just do it faithfully. And you do it again. And you do it again. All to the glory of God. It's not about you and what you do. It's about God and his glory, right? What a blessing it is. And the body is so, such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Go back to Numbers chapter 4 here. Just Like in Numbers 4, every member of the Levite's family had a role in moving that tabernacle. They all had a role to play. They just had to be faithful in their work. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 19 and Mark and Luke. He says this, but many who are first will be last and the last first. To be a member of the church, to be a member of Christ's body is to be humble just to be available, to let God use you for his glory and his purpose. What a privilege it is. What a beautiful. So I hope you use your gift. I hope you use your gift of whatever that is for God's church until he calls you home. That's my intention. I'm going to use my gift until God says stop. I love Pastor Chuck Smith. What a great example. The week before he died, he preached on Sunday. And he had a mask on. I don't know if you saw Did you see that, Frank? He had, a, he had oxygen mask on because he was really struggling. His lungs were starting to fill with flu. He was dying. But God gave him breath. And so he stood up at that pulpit. And for those 15, 20 minutes, he preached God's word. Like kind of like Darth Vader. <sighs> and he was talking to the congregation. But it was beautiful. It was awesome. As long as God gives you breath, Be faithful. Serve. Don't stop. Don't stop because it's not about you. It's about the body being edified and God being glorified. Now, these closing verses real quick, the final count, verse 34. Moses and Aaron, the leaders of the congregation, numbered the sons of the Kohites and their families by their fathers. Here's the number. From 30 to 50, again, everyone that went to work, they were numbered. There were 2,750 And the ones who were numbered of the families of Kohathites, all who might serve in the tabernacle, of meeting whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And those who were numbered of the sons of Gershon by their families and their father's house of 30 years above to 50. Again, all the way down to verse 40, 2,630, the Gershonites, their service to the Lord. And then you have Merari, go down to verse 44, 3,200. Those are the ones that did all the heavy lifting. These are the ones who were numbered, the families of Merari, Moses, and Aaron numbered according to the families, or according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. All, verse 46, who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of Israel numbered by their families and by their father's house. From 30 years old and above, even 50 years old, everyone who came to work the service of the work and bearing burdens in the tabernacle of meeting. Those were numbered were 8,580 according to the commandment of the Lord, verse 49. And they were numbered by the hand of Moses, each according to his service and according to his task. Thus were they numbered by him as the Lord commanded Moses. If Calvary Chapel San Bernardino is going to be healthy, it's going to take you and your gift, volunteering selflessly for the benefit of the other. If this chapter and the previous one speak, that's what they're speaking to us, and that's how they can be applied. To use your gift, to joyfully serve, to surrender your time and your finances and your your personal abilities so that the body... Can be all it wants to be. I I want Calvary San Bernardino to be a lean, mean ministry machine. I mean, don't you want that for the church you go to? Don't you? Wouldn't you rather come to a church that's that's engaged with the culture around? And we have some ministries that are engaged. I like to do so much more, and I have some ideas, and we'll see how God brings that to fruition in His time. Uh, Sunday night, I was I went to the little church where our group of people serves the homeless once a month it's just it's awesome it's not about the homeless people (laughs) they get ministered to no doubt they get prayed for they get touched they get spoken to i watched it but when you get to serve in the name of jesus in any capacity that's what brings joy that's what brings happiness that's what God has given you breath and life for, to serve, to serve him in his church. Every one of you have a ministry. Everyone has an ability. Everybody to some degree has an ability to do it. And the Holy Spirit is what gives you the power to do that work. That's that's another fantastic, wonderful truth. When I step aside, and I allow the Holy Spirit to do that work. That's when it makes sense to you. If I try to blah, 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 and do my own thing and be myself, that's when there's a problem. There'll be a disconnect between me and the Word and you. But when I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to use that gift that he's given me, and he does that, he's the one that gave that gift to you and to me, and when he stirs you up and gets you going and you begin to minister That's when the church begins to grow in terms of of maturity and holiness, not happiness, in faithful serving and and month after month, year after year, dedication in this fellowship. Unlike many denominational churches, and I'm not putting them down, but a pastor will stay and kind of on average, five years, and then they'll move him down the road. They'll send him to another state. They'll send him to another place. You know, and I've heard, I don't know, but I've heard, you know, some pastors, it's kind of cool because they have this, they can do the same sermons they did five years ago. They just reheat, reheat, reheat. They don't really send They just get in their own little. This fellowship, you have, you know, John Deming. He's been your youth pastor for, or children's pastor for, gee, I met John in 1989, in, uh, I think. Is that when you guys came, 1989, right around then, Sandra? 85. So I met John then, and he started working with Sandra. Well, no, because they were, they were just dating. When were you married? 86. So I met them before they were married. Cute couple, very cute. But John you know he started he everybody noticed his gifts he loves kids he's holding he's walking around babies babies I was always around the babies but John has been faithful year after year after year after year in this fellowship and you can do the same thing you can continue to be faithful you can continue to serve the Lord whether it's worship or ushering or Sunday school or or just your commitment of giving maybe your your work is outside the church, but you come here to celebrate God. And there, there are those like that. There are those that don't have a specific ministry in the, within these walls of our church, but they're doing ministry at the school. They're doing ministry at the work, around the drinking fountain, sharing the gospel in different ways, praying. There's different ministries that people have. Let's just do it. Let's be a lean, mean, evangelistic machine here at Calvary San Bernardino. Let's share the gospel. Let's rejoice in hope and let's grow in holiness and be faithful at what God's called us to do. Amen. Father, thank you for the word tonight. What a blessing, Lord. Yeah. To study these Old Testament chapters and to derive from them, to draw from them, purpose and meaning and direction for our lives today. Your word is remarkable, it's fantastic. Lord, I thank you for it. And I pray that that tonight these words would encourage each and every one here in the sanctuary that each individual, Lord, would be not torn down but built up and and encouraged to either continue being faithful or to seek out that area of ministry that, that you've called them to. Lord, use us and cause us to grow. May we be Holy, Lord, set apart, as we'll discover next week in Numbers chapter 5, that we're set apart from sin. Lord, bless us and help us as a fellowship. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.